0: I'm Lillian Vasquez with Lifestyles on KVCR. Thank you for listening. Today on the show, it's my conversation with Robin Riddle. She is the CEO of the Brain Support Network, which is a nonprofit organization that focuses on brain donations for those challenged with parkinsonism, louis body dementia, and other types of dementia. The project's key focus is working to fight against neurodegeneration and support neurological research. Today's show is inspired by one of our longtime listener and supporter who is no longer with us. Here's my conversation with Robin Riddle. Let's talk about the Brain Support Network. What is its overall? What is it?
1: Brain Support Network is a nonprofit we're based here in Northern California and we are dedicated to the well-being of those challenged by neurodegenerative disorders.
0: And why is this a passion of yours? Why are you involved in this brain disorder and and having brains donated to the organization?
1: I got started with this effort back in 2004 when my father was diagnosed with a rare Neurological disorder called progressive supranuclear palsy. And most people have not heard of this disorder, but if you're old enough to remember the British actor Dudley Moore, he actually had PSP. Many people thought he was alcoholic because he would uh, slur his speech and stumble and fall, but indeed he had a neurological disorder that described those symptoms. And my father had the same disorder. And I looked around here in Northern California, and nobody was, there was no support group. There was no uh, family support for people dealing with that disease. So I started a local support group. Then we broadened out to include uh, three other disorders that look a lot alike PSP, and one of those disorders is multiple system atrophy. And I believe your longtime listener is a lady who had this disorder of MSA. And the only way to tell the difference between these disorders is upon brain autopsy. So we have to wait, in fact, until someone has passed away before we can look in their brain and confirm the diagnosis. During life, these four disorders, they're kind of under an umbrella called atypical Parkinsonism disorders. During life, these disorders look a lot alike, so you couldn't really tell the difference between my dad with PSP and somebody else with MSA, multiple system atrophy, or somebody else with Lewy body dementia or corticobasal degeneration. only way to tell the difference or the only way to obtain a confirmed diagnosis is through brain donation and the wonderful thing about brain donation is that it allows for a donated brain to be utilized in the future for medical research so that hopefully eventually during life we can diagnose these disorders accurately and we can tell the difference as to whether somebody has PSP, like my father, or MSA, or Lewy body dementia.
0: All right. Well, I want to break those down just a little bit and talk about each of them. But first, tell me about the mission of BSN Network. And you kind of said it a little bit there, but I think it has a brain donation component, an educational component, and then a support group. So tell me about the brain donation part of it.
1: Right. You're exactly right. We do have those three missions, and brain donation applies to anybody in the United States who's coping with a neurological disorder. We are able to help them or their families make arrangements to donate a loved one's brain upon death, and we have helped over a 1,000 families thus far, with uh, brain donation. And this is, as I mentioned, very important for both confirming the diagnosis and for enabling research on any neurological condition. In terms of education, our website and our educational efforts focus on four atypical Parkinsonism disorders. These are disorders that can look alike during life and the only way to tell the difference is to uh, diagnose the brain upon death. And these four disorders are progressive supranuclear palsy, multiple system atrophy, corticobasal degeneration. Those three are, are very rare disorders. And the fourth one is Lewy body dementia, which is not rare at all, but people have not really heard very much about this disease. And then finally, our support effort is locally here in Northern California. We run four different support groups for each of these diagnoses. We have groups for caregivers only because we believe caregivers need a space to confidentially discuss their situation at home or situation with their loved one and receive some support and ideas and resources. And then we also have uh, here in the local area support groups for people coping with the diseases themselves. So people with the diagnosis have support group also.
0: So that support group seems really important because the person, the caretaker, or the loved one that's uh, helping this the person diagnosed with this uh, disorder is under a lot of sh- mm, stress, strain, yes, and, absolutely. and is overwhelmed, I'm sure. So just talking to someone like-minded who can relate to them must be a relief.
1: It is a relief, I think. Having people who are in the support group on the same journey as you are is uh, very comforting to know that uh, if somebody is further along in the journey, you can see that they're surviving. If, in fact, somebody's loved one has already passed away, you can see that they still have life after the passing of their family member. Or if they're in early stages of the disease, they can see that other people are going through this and there's a community there who can help them. And I think being able to vent and receive sympathy among people who are in a similar circumstance is really priceless. Our friends and our other family members can only help us so far, but to talk to somebody who's actually walking the same walk is priceless.
0: Yeah, I would think so. Let me reintroduce our guest is Robin Riddle. She's the CEO of the Brain Support Network. Okay, Robin, let's talk about, now some of these, as you just described, are are rare. Um, Lewy body dementia is not as rare, but I'm wondering if you could kind of break each of the four down. They fall under, is it the Parkinsonism's? Or disorders? How how is That's
1: that? That's right. Um, they they are all considered Parkinsonism disorders, and more specifically, they're all considered atypical Parkinsonism disorders. So, Parkinsonism is um, a term that means having symptoms like Parkinson's disease. So Parkinson's disease, of course, is also a Parkinsonism disorder, but Parkinson's disease is a very common one. And when we say Parkinsonism, we generally mean rigidity and slow movement. We don't always mean tremor, though many people with Parkinson's do have tremor. So for the atypical Parkinsonism disorders, all Four of these disorders, people dealing with these disorders, do have Parkinsonism. So they have either rigidity or slow movement. And then they have other symptoms on top of that that make them atypical, atypical in the sense that they don't look like Parkinson's disease. So, for example, progressive supranuclear palsy, that disease, which is a disease my father had, has a couple of unusual symptoms. One, the word palsy actually refers to an eye palsy. So the eye does not move up and down as most of our eyes do normally. So, for example, when my father walked along a path, he couldn't, Cast his eyes down. His eyes just simply didn't move that way. And he had to physically move his neck down or his head down to uh, see the ground. And as you can imagine, if you cannot really see the ground without moving your head or neck forward, so you're much more likely to fall in that case. And indeed, another symptom of PSP is falling, mm. and primarily falling backwards. That often happens in PSP. Another one of these diseases is corticobasal degeneration. And it has a, a very unusual symptom, which is called alien limb. And so you might be speaking with someone with CBD, and their right arm may raise up in the air as if it is a limb from an alien. And you might say, honey, why don't you put your arm down? And uh, the person will not know that it is indeed their own arm, and you may have to physically help them put the arm down themselves. So this is an unusual symptom, alien limb syndrome. Another of these disorders is called multiple system atrophy, and this is a disorder that your longtime listener had, MSA. And this disorder, and one of its key symptoms, is something called orthostatic hypotension, which many people have. Especially, we can develop orthostatic hypotension. As we get older, that's quite common. However, people with multiple system atrophy have this orthostatic hypotension symptom in spades. And what it practically means is when they stand up from sitting, all of the blood is still pooled in their legs and is not being able to normally be pumped up to the brain. And so they feel faint and they may fall. And as you can imagine, this is an extremely disabling symptom if somebody has orthostatic hypotension. And then the fourth disorder, Lewy body dementia, which I mentioned is not a rare disorder. It's the second or third most common dementia In the elderly, but people don't really know very much about this disorder. It's not widely recognized in the community unless you have somebody with that diagnosis. And this disorder, Lewy body dementia, as you can tell from the name, it includes dementia. And one of its other key symptoms, key characteristics, is visual hallucinations. And a lot of people with Lewy body dementia will hallucinate either small children or small animals. We had a local support group member, and her her husband had a Lewy body dementia, and she would sometimes come to our meetings and say what zoo animals her husband had seen in their home that day. It's a, also a very unusual symptom and its primary feature of Lewy body dementia. So that kind of gives you some idea of these four disorders.
0: Right. I want to ask a little bit more about them, but first I want to reintroduce our guest as Robin Riddle, CEO of the Brain Support Network. We're going to take a quick break, but when we return, I'll continue my conversation with Robin Riddle. I'm Lillian Vasquez, and you're listening to Lifestyles on KVCR. We'll be right back. If you're just joining us, my guest is Robin Riddle. She's the CEO of the Brain Support Network, and we're talking about the Brain Support Network and some of the Parkinsonism disorders. We were just talking about the four disorders, and I want to ask, three of them you said are are fairly rare. One of them, the Lewy body dimension, is a little bit more common, but I'm wondering when, when... Patients are getting the diagnoses. Our families are getting the diagnoses. Are they easy to diagnose and to differentiate at the beginning, or are they sometimes a disorder or an illness that is takes a while to get a diagnosis to even know what's going on?
1: These are unfortunately all disorders that take a while for symptoms to appear and for some differentiation to occur. As I mentioned, these four disorders, one symptom that they all have in common is that they are all Parkinsonism conditions. So they either have rigidity or slowness of movement. And When somebody normally presents at a doctor's office, whether it be primary care or neurology, if they present with rigidity and slowness of movement, the physician might think, oh, this person could have Parkinson's disease. And the physician may prescribe a Parkinson's medication to this person to see if it helps at all. And it's not until several years later When either other symptoms develop or it's recognized that these medications are not effective or not as effective as they would be in typical Parkinson's disease, does the physician think, oh, this might not be typical Parkinson's, this might be something else? Mm. For example, Lewy body dementia Because Lewy body dementia is a disorder that presents with dementia, it may not initially even have Parkinsonism symptoms. So the person may present initially with visual hallucinations. And if somebody presents with visual hallucinations to a physician, a physician may never even think of Lewy body dementia Mm. because if it's only psychosis that the person is experiencing, they may think the person has a psychiatric condition. And indeed, many people with Lewy body dementia are initially thought to have some psychiatric condition. Likewise, the two other diseases I mentioned, progressive supranuclear palsy and corticobasal degeneration, these two disorders can look a lot like Alzheimer's disease. Mm. And indeed, I thought my father had Alzheimer's disease because he presented with dementia. He was unable one day to remember how to use his ATM card at a cash machine. We went to a bank so he could withdraw cash. He was unable to remember how to use the ATM card. He had some strange personality changes. My grandmother had had a stroke and was unable to remember things, and my father got irrationally very angry at her that she could no longer remember things. And these kind of personality changes and the inability to remember how to use an ATM card, I thought that meant dementia, and I thought all dementia was Alzheimer's disease, But I learned subsequently that there are, in fact, a hundred different kinds of dementia, and one of them was the kind my father had, Mm. which was PSP. But it was only later that we kind of put together the fact that he had trouble walking and he had weakness in his legs that we put that symptom together with the cognitive issues and behavioral issues that we realized, oh, this is, in fact, this other disease called PSP. So there's in general, it takes uh, three or four years and often many different attempts to see different physicians, different neurologists to get a clear diagnosis. And as I said before, the diagnosis is not even clear or not even confirmed until death occurs. And one thing we've learned from our brain donation experience of over a 1,000 brain donations is about half the time the clinical diagnosis, that is the diagnosis while the person is alive, is incorrect. So if you can have a coin toss and be as accurate as a neurologist, it's very important not to get too hung up about what the diagnosis is. Unfortunately, we all want a diagnosis while our family member is alive because we want something to hang our hats on and we want to have some kind of an answer. Um, And half the time, that answer or the diagnosis is flat wrong.
0: Right. With the donation process, as you've just described, you've had over a 1,000 brain donations. What gains have you made in research by just those brains? Well,
1: I would like to um, one thing uh, correct, uh, perhaps a misimpression that people may have. We help families with all kinds of neurological disorders donate a loved one's brain. It's not just the four disorders that we specialize in, in terms of our support group or our educational efforts. So we help families with Parkinson's disease, family history of Alzheimer's disease, ALS, all kinds of disorders, frontotemporal dementia is another category that we've done a lot of brain donation cases in. Among these 1,000 brains, we've probably had the most brains donated for the four disorders that we specialize in because we're in those parts of those communities and talking to community members about brain donation a lot. For example, in the disease my father had, PSP, there was a major genetic study published a few years ago where four new genes were discovered that are highly associated with PSP. We didn't know about these genes until this study. Uh, Additional finding of this study is that in order to have PSP, someone must have three or four of these genetic mutations, and only then would they develop PSP. From this finding, you can see that PSP is very weakly inherited. Just because my father has PSP, my chance of developing PSP is only slightly higher, a few percentage points higher, than somebody else whose father didn't have PSP. So that's uh, one finding that we've had from PSP. One finding we've had from multiple system atrophy is that after many hundreds of brain donations into uh, that disorder, we've learned that neurologists are misled by a few key symptoms and they over-diagnose MSA. For example, as soon as a neurologist sees that orthostatic hypotension symptom I mentioned earlier where when people stand up from sitting, they feel faint because the blood hasn't properly come up to the head, the heart, and the brain. As soon as a neurologist sees that symptom, the neurologist says, oh, this must be multiple system atrophy, and diagnose somebody with multiple system atrophy when in fact much of the time that person either has Parkinson's disease or has Lewy body dementia. And the fact that the person has been misdiagnosed during life may mean that they have not enjoyed some benefit of a medication that perhaps would have helped ameliorate some symptom. From MSA, we've had this very important study from a brain donation. And just recently in the last year, because we were having a lot of brain donations where, especially when the time was very bad with COVID, we had a lot of brain donations where the person actually did have COVID. Sometimes the family member didn't know the person had COVID, Um, and they passed away from pneumonia, say. And so we've learned that people had COVID who we didn't know had COVID. But more importantly, we learned that COVID itself affects the brain in the same way that a stroke affects the brain. It's the entire brain is affected, and white matter is generated in the brain, leading to a massive loss of cells in the brain. And this is a finding that was only possible through brain donation. And hopefully this finding will lead to better treatments for COVID while while people are
0: alive. Let me reintroduce our guest as Robin Riddle. She's the CEO of the Brain Support Network. Robin, in just the last couple minutes that I have with you, there's an eligibility process. What does that look like for someone who is thinking about making this donation or a family is thinking about? What's the process?
1: A starting point is to contact us and let us know what funeral home or cremation organization you plan to use. Not all funeral homes or cremation organizations are cooperative with brain donation. And what that means is they don't always allow pathology personnel into their location to do the brain recovery there on site so it's important to talk to that funeral home or cremation organization and find out what they allow for then we need to find a pathology specialist in that local area so that we can learn what the fees are from that pathology specialist Then we let the family know what the fees are from the funeral home, if any, what the fees are from the pathology specialist. We let the family know what grant funds are available. And for many diagnoses, there are grant funds available either through our organization, Brain Support Network, or other nonprofit organizations. And then if the family wants to proceed, the next step is to have the family provide neurological records in advance to the brain bank so that the brain bank can have those records. And that's the best way to ensure that a brain is utilized in the future for research, to have both the brain tissue at the brain bank and all of the relevant neurological records. Then at that point, we develop a consent form and write up very detailed instructions for the family so that they know, hospice knows, funeral home, pathology specialist, care facility. Everybody knows exactly what has to happen at the time of the person's passing and who's supposed to contact whom and how things get paid for and under what time requirements there are. We have have had very few problems over the years. We have enough experience with this now, over a 1,000 brain donations, that we're quite nimble on our feet, and we're happy to help any family who contacts us. And we hope that to any of your listeners who might be interested in brain donation, whether it be for neurological disease or we also, brain banks need, normal, healthy brains, healthy control brains as well. So we'd be happy to help any of your listeners with that.
0: Well, clearly it's a challenging topic for those listening and those living through it. Thank you so much for your insight. I enjoyed it very much, Lillian. Thank you. To learn more about the Brain Support Network, visit our website at kvcrnews.org lifestyles and click on today's show. if you have a segment idea, share it with us. We'd love to hear what you think would make a good segment on lifestyles. Just so you know, some of our interviews that have been featured on lifestyles are from our listeners. Go to kvcinewsorg slash lifestyles and click on the link titled, have an idea for the show and share your idea with us. That's our show for this week. To hear any of our past shows, visit our website at kvcrnews.org lifestyles. You can also listen to Lifestyles on your favorite streaming service. Search for Lifestyles with Lillian Vasquez and take the show on the go. Lifestyles is on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us at 919lifestyles and search for Lifestyles with Lillian on Instagram. Or go to kbcrnewsorg slash lifestyles and click on the social media icons at the top of the page. Thanks to all who helped to make this show possible, including Sherina Wah, David Fleming, Sean Houlihan, Natasha Coles, and executive producer Rick Dulock. Our theme music is provided by Ethan Bortnick. Join me next week at the same time for Lifestyles with me, Lillian Vasquez. Bye for now. Yeah, the simple in life